What's up, everybody? Chad Belling back at you. Another episode of the Foul Life Podcast. This is a Dickies Workwear Series podcast. We are going to talk today about livelihood, revenue streams, working men, working women, working Americans, working people around the world. It's brought to you by Dickies Workwear. It's brought to you by Gerber Gear. And it's brought to you by Lear Toppers. Dickies Workwear, W. E-A-R is a brand of clothing that supplies authentic work clothing to America's men and women that are out there in our workforce, blue collar, white collar, you name it, ditch diggers, bus drivers, carpenters, janitors, whatever you do, they even have fatigues, they even have medical supplies that doctors and nurses and dentists and dental hygienists can wear on a daily basis. You name it, like I said, Dickies is building it, and we are proud to be associated with them. This episode is also brought to you by Gerber Gear. Stay sharp. America. My guest today is one of the head people that represents Gerber in all of their blades, all of their edges, all of their tools. They have so many different multi-tools and saws and hatchets and open blades and straight blades and closed blades. Gerber gear made in America, made in the state of Oregon. They keep us sharp, whether we're building a blind or cutting the hind quarters off an elk or the breast meat off a speckle belly goose out of the rice fields of California. We love our partnership and everything that Gerber gear stands for. And finally, today's episode episode is brought to you by Lear Toppers. Stay secure, stay safe as you travel America's highways, flyways, the back roads, the dirt roads, watching those mallards pitch into a pond, you pull into a hotel or a lodge, you can be rest assured that all of your guns, ammo, any of your hunting gear is going to be secure and protected underneath your Lear Topper, not to mention all of the moisture and rain that it keeps off. There's so many benefits of a Lear Topper, so many different combinations and styles that you can build out for your truck. Doesn't matter what rig you drive check them out Lear Toppers they're on all the social media platforms thank you very much for supporting those sponsors today's guest is one of my favorite hunters I everywhere I go I hear like Rocky said man that guy's amazing and then you go talk to another guy that, that I've introduced you to or that we have co-friends with or like something in common with and they're like he's the best there is you're quiet you don't talk a lot of smack. You would be kind of like the Dan Hendo of hunters. Like Conor McGregor is a smack talker in the UFC. Dan Hendo never talked any smack. He always just went in there and did it. And that's what you do. You kind of just stay quiet. Nobody knows where you're at at any given time. Nobody knows where you hunt. And you're by yourself a lot. You even have a show with Tim called Solo Hunter. Remy Warren, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Is that it. kind of a fair assumption? I don't. Are you an oh, MMA yeah. fan at all? Yeah. So, you yeah, know, like Conor McGregor, he oh, sells yeah. the fight with the press conference and the smack talk. Hendo would just go in there and roll his eyes at something like that and just go to battle. You're kind of like that silent guy that really just stays low key and behind the scenes, but you have a huge following. You have a very successful podcast. You have TV shows and content out there that everybody knows you through. You've been on the Rogan experience with Joe Rogan. You've been on the Meat Eater podcast. You know, Steven Ranella. You got a big, big following. Why, why, how do you stay quiet with all that? Do you choose that or does it just come natural or what? I don't know. I think it just comes natural. I'm like the kind of guys like put your head down, do the work, let other people say, you know what I mean? I, I'm always the guy that's like, I don't want to be the guy that tells everybody this, that, and the other thing. I just want to be the guy that shows everybody. And that's like, and to show people, you just got to be out doing it. And so I just kind of like constantly get out there and, and do my thing. And it's just what I love too. So it's just like, it's just the way I live, I guess. Do you, do you, you started in the outdoor industry as a writer? Is that correct? Were you, uh, were you mainly a writer first or were you on camera first? Uh, on camera. I mean, I started as a guide and outfitter. Um, but then like, yeah, I guess like the, yeah, I, I guess I started writing, working for a magazine. Um, you know, I, I was guiding, working for a magazine and I was always, I mean, I've always been filming stuff before I ever had a show, before I ever did anything, I just filmed everything. And, um, and then that passion kind of turned into, uh, filming stuff for television, then filming stuff for social media and companies and content creation. And just now where it's morphed to, you know, so many different little assets and facets. But you did not grow up in a hunting industry family. Your dad is a local guy that, that has owned businesses in the area. Your brother works in those businesses. Your family, I don't know for a fact, but I don't think that... Were you the first one to step out and say, I'm going to make my living in the outdoor industry? Yeah. Um, well, actually, my grandpa, like back before I was born, was an outfitter um, in Montana. And that's kind of like, I just wanted to follow in his footsteps. He had long been out of it when I got started, but... Um, 
you know, I think that that was like a big inspiration for me. So outfitting drew you to the industry and then it just started to kind of compound from there. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, well, I mean, I, something I knew I always wanted to do was like have an outdoor TV show and do hunting stuff for a living, whether it be writing all forms of like hunting media, that was kind of like my goal. And I mean, I, I was very intentional about it. It wasn't just like I accidentally appeared in this space. Um, but yeah. You're intentional about your approach and about your, your kind of forecasting your road into the industry. Building a TV show is hard. Becoming a successful writer in any facet of life is difficult. There's a lot of journalists out there. There's a lot of newspaper reporters and writers. There's a lot of authors out there. Um, you got to find your niche. Your niche became in what I would guess to be storytelling, but more so of instructional and how to, because you have an uncanny way of teaching men and women how to become successful in the field. Your podcast does that quite a bit with stories. Uh, like I said, cause you're a very well thought out, you know, sought after thinker. You, you put your words together very well. Um, but you, you, you talk about how you, you were positioning yourself, could you explain to somebody how to get a job in this industry? Because like, if you say, I want to become a doctor, there's a pathway to that. You go to college, you become very smart, you get all of your credits taken care of, and then you hopefully get, you know, pass some tests to get accepted to med school. And then you do your residency and then you become an MD and you pay back all those student loans. And then you figure out if you're an ER doctor or a physician, you know, a kids, a pediatric physician or a surgeon or whatever. Right. Yeah. When you say I'm going to be in the outdoor industry, you could probably teach somebody how to be a writer or tell them, well, if you want to become a writer, go to, go to college, become a journal, you know, journalism, get a degree in journalism, learn how to write, or just start writing and try to get your stuff accepted by an editor from one of these magazines like film stream or outdoor life or predator extreme or whatever. How do you explain to somebody, Remy, like you, you have all these different things going on. You have podcasts, TV shows, you write a lot of articles, you represent some of the biggest brands in the country, including one that's on your hat, Gerber. How would you tell somebody if a 15 year old kid walks up and says, Hey man, when I'm done with high school, I want to get in the hunting industry. Yeah. I mean, that's, if you asked, I think if you probably asked like a hundred people that do it, you would get a hundred different answers. But I mean, I did it the only way that I knew how, and it was, a uh, couple ways. First, hard work. And second, just by doing it. Um, you know, I think people like look at you where you are right now. And, and it happens in every industry or anything people do. They always like look at where you are now. And they're like, they don't see all the work that it took to get to that place. Um, you know, I think my the way that I saw it all panning out was I knew what I wanted to do. And I kind of just like packed up my truck and gave myself no other options. No, I had no other exit plan. Um, I knew that I wanted to be a guide and an outfitter. And those people were like, how do you be a guide? I literally loaded up my truck, drove to Montana and was like, I'm going to be up here until I figure it out. <laughs> and, um, and I didn't have a guide job. And so I just lived in my truck and started hunting constantly. Did you have a lot really, of money in the bank? No, I was in like, I was after high school. Um, so you just said, I'm going with some gas money. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and then I did have like, um, you know, I, I took, I had like a scholarship to school, so that was cool. But I decided I was like, I'm going to take the fall off and then only do school during spring and summer semesters. So I'll take six months off to work and hunt and do whatever. And then I'll go back to school. And, um, and I mean, I was just like, you know, out there and trying to figure out, like, learn an area better than anyone. And I was like, hey, man, if I know this area better than anyone, how could someone not hire me? So I just, I mean, I, I beat the pavement. I mean, I learned every rock, stick, tree, whatever. And I chose to go to Montana, one, because I grew up hunting there with my grandpa. And two, because it was like, at the time, you know, people were like, why didn't you guide Nevada? But it was general over-the-counter tags there. And it was like, you know, that's the mecca for being an elk guide is go to Montana. You know, it's like, big public land, whatever. So I, I learned those areas and, um, I kept running into these outfitters and I just constantly, I wasn't like, it wasn't like I was like knew where they were at and trying to be in front of them or anything. I was just out learning the area hunting and I kept being on the elk before the, these other guys kept coming in behind me. And, uh, this one guy's like, Hey man, like this is like three times in a row. Like you definitely know these elk as well or better than we do. And he's like, instead of working against us, you want to work for us? And I was like, yeah, hell yeah. That's <laughs> so, what my goal was. Yeah. So I got a job as a hunting guide. And um, I mean, you know, it was like when I was guiding, I just like, I 
I just went balls out. I wanted to be the best guide there was. And, um, I mean, I remember days where it was like we, everybody had an elk and a deer tag. I took two hunters per week. Uh, both had, so four tags between them, an elk and a deer, both. And then, you know, and, um, I mean, I remember there was days where a guy would shoot an elk in the evening. I'd go drop them back off at camp, go out, pack out their elk till five in the morning, no sleep, get back, pick them back up and go back out because I wanted to make sure I had as much time hunting with these guys so I could fill tags. And I mean, I was like public land, 10% success rate. And I filled every single one of my guys elk and deer tags, or at least, you know, had them shoot at multiple animals. Sometimes you can't control where they hit, but, um, I got really good at it and, you know, built a name for myself for being one of the best guides, um, by just like working my ass off. And through that, you know, I had stockpiles of stories and experience and I was already, I was only what, 21, 22 at the time, something like that. Um, and I ran into these guys that, uh, you know, were, had had a magazine, local, small local magazine in Montana. And um, I started showing them pictures of like some of this. And they're like, holy crap, man, you've been on like a lot of hunts. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I hunt from August 1st till December 1st nonstop. And uh, and those guys were like, hey, you want to do? I was like, oh, yeah, I write too. And um, I just had a bunch of things that I'd written that no, you know, no one wanted to publish them. But I just wrote stuff because just to write. And, uh, and I ended up working for those guys for 40 hours a week for free for about two years, you know, just to build up a resume essentially. And where was it going? Where was all, all of your stories are going? Uh, it was called real hunting magazine. And it was just, you would write it, Yep. they would edit it and then they would put it in there. And then was it a subscription based deal? Yeah, it was a subscription base and, um, it was subscription based and sold on newsstands. I, I I ended up starting by writing stuff. Then I ended up uh, doing like design work for them, and then I ended up kind of just like pretty much running the thing. I feel like, um, you know, I just work. I pretty much like from start to finish did everything, and uh, you know, never. I was like, I just my thought was like nobody's going to hire a guy that has no experience. So man, I will get in here and I will do everything and I will learn. Like, I will just like work for free if I can for, I mean, I worked for free for years, just building up a resume. So it was like, I remember when I was probably, I don't know, I think I was maybe, I, I don't even know when I started that. Um, so maybe I was like 23, 24 and, uh, I guess what, what year would that be? Like when kind of every, everything, the stock market crashed, the, everything went down the, 2007, that, yeah, 2007, 2008, something like that. No, it'd probably be, I guess this happened in like, uh, 2009 or, or somewhere around there. Um, the, that magazine ended up going under, but, um, you know, they had like the company that distributed, um, like never, it was just a, yeah, it was too bad. But, um, yeah. And I mean, I was like, oh, oh, well, I was like, I looked at it and I just had a resume that like nobody my age had, not a single person on the planet had my resume. And I thought that's like, you know, I put in countless hours and like I was going to school full time and like working all night, just getting these magazines done and meeting deadlines and doing the design work and collecting articles and editing all the photos and just like building up this resume where I was like, at the end, I had a portfolio of like, hundreds of articles that I'd written, magazines, design things that I'd done, everything. And during that whole time, I was constantly filming. I was like, my thought was like, I wanted, I'm the type of person's like, if you want something, just do it. And uh, I wanted to have a hunting TV show. And I'd, I had been the guide on shows and people were like, yeah, it's impossible. I was like, no. So I took my camera out and I filmed everything I did like I had a TV show and I had no TV show. And then me and Tim connected and he's like, He's like, was looking for some content. And I was like, Hey man, I've got, uh, I think I had 35 filmed hunts and he's like, perfect. Cause I have no filmed hunts and I need some filmed hunts. And so like the first three seasons of solo hunter were just essentially stuff that I had in the bank that I just filmed, hoping to have a TV show one day, just getting practice filming and doing things the way that I like to do it. And then it became that. And that's just kind of like things that progressed from there. So when you said you took the, the semester off, you did end up going back to get your degree? Yeah, I got a degree in marketing, but I did it all during the spring and summer semesters. So you could hunt in the fall and winter? Yeah, so I took off. I mean, I essentially was done from, what would that be, August 1st to, 
mid end of January. So the you're telling somebody how to get a job in this. Really, it's work your ass off. Work your work ass ethic. off. Yeah, work that's ethic. what. Yeah, and it's, I think it's for anything. And I don't. I, I honestly anything don't think anything's that hard to get. But people, I think people, uh, and maybe it's just me going off my own only experience. The only thing I can talk about is my own experience. You know, but I think that there's like one question that always pisses me off. It's like, what's the easiest way to do what you do? I'm like, I don't know. I didn't take the easy way, man. I worked my ass off. I mean, I did stuff for free for years. You know, and it's like, okay, I'm at this point now, but you don't see all the hours and the time and the whatever that I did stuff just grinding. So what point are you at? How do you describe where you're at at this? How old are you, 35? 35, yeah. 35 years old. Where are you at? Are you where you want to be? Are you done? Where are you at? Oh, I mean, I think there's always things to progress and things to get into and and different stuff. You know, I've got plans of things that I want to do, but I also think that... um, yeah, I mean, I think in some ways I kind of met a lot of the things that I wanted to do. You know, I think that I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I, I, I mean, I don't know if I feel like I've like made it to where I want to. I don't necessarily think it's that, but because it's always just been I want to do what I love to do, and I'm doing that. So, I mean, for me, it's like sweet. That's awesome. Um, I think other people like, I don't know. I mean. You know, you talk about like the outdoor industry and all this. I'm so far removed from the quote unquote industry part of it. I know none of that stuff. And I think people think I'm a little more ingrained to it than I am. Um, It's just that, I mean, it's just kind of like part of my lifestyle and somehow all these other things fit into it, you know? And I mean, it's very intentional that way. But, um, you know, in the the scheme of things, my day-to-day thing is I'm out doing what I love, really. 100%. 100%. And and honestly, you talk about it. It's like, oh, yeah, you put in the hard work. But if something you love, it doesn't feel like work. No. Never go out there and like, man, I'm really, I'm really working hard. I mean, sometimes the travel seems annoying or whatever, you know, but whatever. But, dude, if you love it, you're like, I, I mean, I'd rather put in a, uh, you know, the uh, is, is like day in, day out grinding on something that I love to do than something that I don't, you know. Do you ever get the feeling of guilt because does it ever hit you? And I'm saying this in a personal reflection of like, how is this happening kind of deal? Like, how do I get, I know, you know, you worked hard and I feel that we have too, you know, we, if we go back to the very beginnings of what we started building, it was a lot and it still is a lot of work. Yeah. But sometimes when you see what comes with it, you're almost like, is this really real? Maybe not guilty, but do you pinch yourself a bunch saying like, I'm literally in the big sky country of Montana chasing bugling elk and big rutting mule deer. And I'm getting paid for it. But at the same time, I'm going back to my tent and writing an article that I'm getting paid for. And then I'm right, you know, then I'm doing a photo shoot for Under Armour that I'm getting paid for. I mean, does it ever hit you to make where you got to like pinch yourself? Oh, yeah, definitely. You're like, whoa. I remember I remember just like, um, I don't know if you, you know, you, you had this or whatever. But I remember just like looking at things, um, hunting TV shows or whatever and thinking, I know I can be that guy. I know I can do that, you know. And then you kind of get to that point, but you never see yourself actually doing it. It's just like part of what you do. I think other people see, I remember being that person on the outside looking in saying I could do that. And then, then finally becoming that person, you don't ever see yourself as that person. I don't know if that makes sense. Makes so total you're, sense. you're like, and then other people, it's like funny, like, um, you know, if I'm going through an airport or in something, you know, a lot, I, I think a lot of people like, you know, will recognize me and like, and they're like, man, you're my hero or this, that. And you're like, I don't see myself as that because I'm just doing what I love. And I don't, it, it's really weird. But I remember like seeing on the outside kind of like it, it, that part's very surreal. It's like, I think it's really cool in a way that it's like, hey, what I'm doing like affects people in the way that other people have affected me. And I think that that's super cool. Um, and I hope that that like motivates people uh, to, to follow whatever it is that they love to do and, and figure out a way to do it. I wish there was a formula. I wish there was a school. I wish there was like, this is the path you can take. But the reason that, um, there's not a lot of people that do it and it's diff is because it's difficult. And I think people over like glaze over that fact that it's extremely difficult extremely. and things that are extremely difficult take a lot of work and, and you just have to be willing to be the guy that's like, um, not doesn't get bitter, just like sees things as an opportunity and takes those opportunities, works your ass off and then, um, make those opportunities into something for yourself. I'm sure you've encountered it, but that last few seconds of you talking, those few sentences, I think that's like the birth of hate, hateism or hatred, um, or haters in 
different areas in life of people that what if you took what you said the first 15 minutes and applied that and said nothing's impossible you've heard it for years there's always been that analogy or that mindset of like if you want something you just have to go get it you just have to wake up earlier and go to bed later there's all but it's hard yeah it's hard to discipline so i think that when people are outside looking in you were one of those guys that were like I can do that. You didn't hate on the people that were inside doing it. You're just like, I, I know that I can put something together and be intentional in my, you know, in my approach to this. Right. I think that what you just described is how people start to hate of like, they, they don't know the steps to take to get there. So they automatically go to that. What you use this bitterness and that bitterness starts to cause of like, oh man, if, if, if I can't do it, then I'm going to tear down somebody that will. Would you agree with that some that, oh, that yeah. hate, that haters that are, are spawned from that inability to see that it really can be done? Yeah. I think, you know, one thing I, I think is really important is I never looked at what other people were doing and I never really focused on what other people were doing. It's like, I was stoked for what other people did, but I also wanted to do my own thing. I remember, I mean, this is, you know, what, uh, over 15 years ago. And I remember thinking about, I wanted to showcase the hunt, how I saw hunting, not just going to a tree stand, killing a deer or whatever. I wanted to show the the struggle of the hike, the pack out, cooking the, the meat over an open fire. And I remember people telling me that will never catch on. That's not hunting. That's not the hunting industry. And that's not, and you won't ever make it doing that. And I just thought, okay. That's fine. And then I had, you know, a couple opportunities where it was like, I, you know, I, whatever, um, to do some hunts that were like things that were supposedly what the hunting industry wanted. And I was like, this isn't me. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to keep doing what I like to do. And if nobody likes it, I don't care. But, and now I look at it and it's like, I feel like I almost paved the way of like how much of the hunting industry now is matching up with what I was doing 15 years ago. And, and like, that's awesome. Is that where, are you saying that in a way that you spawn the meat eater? No, I don't know. But I mean, I just think that, you know, I was on the leading edge of what essentially came is like people are looking for now, you know? And it was, I think that, you know, when you talk about like the hunting industry and the other things, I think there's like, I mean, I really believe that it has caught up to where I've been this entire time. Because I remember there's certain things that, you know, were not popular then that I was told talking to companies like we would never uh, work with somebody that um, is only like Western based or whatever. You got it. It's white tails only, man. If you aren't doing white tails, like it's you're never going to make it like that's not the case because I think there's a lot of adventure in hunting. I think there's a lot to be said about these aspirational qualities of hunting. You know, I think that, you know, I was told it's all about big white tail bucks. And I was like, yeah, but there's a lot of people that hunt for the food and for the adventure and for just going out. And there's people that I, I remember being told we showed uh, solo episodes of like not getting anything. And someone said no one will relate to that. And is the exact opposite. Everybody Those were some of the more popular episodes at the time because nobody ever showed an episode where they missed or where they didn't come home with something. It's true. And I'm like, you know what? But that's what hunting is to me. And that's what I wanted to showcase. And I think that now you've kind of seen a shift in those kind of things. And and I wanted to make sure that I always showed respect for the animal when everybody else was doing the flying chicken dance, you know? And I'm like, and those kind of things I think have caught up to essentially – and that's, I like to see that, you know, I like to, and I like to know that by sticking to what I believed in, um, it didn't necessarily compromise me. And I think that because of it, I'm in a lot further place than I would be if I kind of listened to other people's, uh, I just kind of stuck true to what I thought was right and what I thought was cool. And sure enough, things kind of caught up that way, which is cool. So when you talk about going to companies and them saying, well, if you're not a Midwest whitetail guy or a tree stand hunter or it's not going to work out West. There's been a lot of stuff spawned out West. I mean, I can yeah. name brands that respond in Montana or in California or in Utah and Idaho now that are big national brands that respond because of the Western mindset of hunting and adventure and high mountain, or whether it was goat hunting, sheep hunting, elk deer, mule deer, um, antelope, whatever. When you're talking to these companies, when does the first one, how does it, how does the, the Remy Warren mystique of representing brands 
start. Like you're a writer, you're an outfitter. Uh, there might be a chance where Schnee's or Danner sends you a pair of boots and says, hey, hunting these all year. When was the first one where you became uh, signed on the dotted line of representing the brand, like Under Armour you're wearing on there, Gerber you're on your hat. You represent gun companies and ammo companies, many different companies and facets of the industry. Do you remember the, how that, did they come to you? Did you go to them? Was it a SHOT Show? Um, yeah, I think it was, uh, I think it, it came through a few different things, but really I think the first the first couple companies that really like supported me were Vortex and Under Armour. And they kind of, they saw the value. And I think that, um, I think that they had worked with, well, I, I don't know, I don't want to speak for them, but I mean, what I remember them talking about was uh, there was something that happened. Um, they needed somebody to fill in for a, f- a photo shoot or whatever. And they realized like I'd been doing like TV stuff for free. I didn't get paid to do anything. Um, and I, they needed like a person to do some photo shoot thing. And I think that they like the people that I, I went there and I was like, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be stoked to do this, you know? And, um, it was a, I can't remember some kind of ad campaign that they had. And, um, and I was out there and like, they quickly realized that I was like the real deal. And I think they'd worked with a lot of people in the quote unquote hunting industry that had no clue what they were doing and not, not to say in a bad way or cast shade on anyone, but they were like, dude, this guy knows what he's doing. And I think I get, I think that like, it's kind of a really weird. What do you mean? Like during the photo shoot, you knew how to put the backpack on or you knew. <laughs> yeah. How to just do- like random stuff that, you know, you're like, I, I like to consider myself like I'm a fairly bushy person. Like I've lived more days outside than inside. Like I'm pretty self-sustainable and I can do a lot of, I like know what works and what doesn't. Um, and I think some of that just like, um, I think they kind of saw that work ethic of like, this guy is just like willing to go the distance, willing to like do whatever it takes. And I think that that made a, a big impact on them. And they're like, this, that kind of really fits with our company. And, um, and then I started working with them and, and, uh, and that kind of started it. Um, you know, and I think that they're like, uh, I, I mean, and doing things with other companies where, you know, I've taken them out hunting and other things and like, well, it really just like showcases my skill as a hunter, I mean, I don't like to, I'm not the type of person like to brag on myself, but I will say that I've been out there a lot and I have a lot of experience. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not afraid to get put into any situation and know that I'll come out. Okay. Um, whether it's like a hunt or a outdoor situation, I mean, I know what I'm doing and I'm not afraid to admit that because I've put in the time to say that. But you also have to be a businessman on the other end to create these revenue streams to make, to support your livelihood. Yeah, definitely. You You have a family, you have a wife. I don't know when you're going to have kids, but I'm sure that that's a thought. You can't just go out and say, well, I'm a bushy dude. I know my way around the mountains and then just hunt for free. Like there's got to be money coming in to pay the bills. So now on the other side of it, when you go to the office and you start talking about the writing, the podcasting, the billing, the invoicing, the, 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 you know, the balance sheets and the, you know, the accounts receivable and the accounts payable and like, you got to run a business. Oh yeah. Like Remy Warren has become a brand, right? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I, um, People were like, you know, when I was going to school, they're like, oh, what are you going to get your degree in, like wildlife or something like that? And I thought, no, man, I'll learn as much about the wildlife just being out there. I got a degree in marketing because my entire intent, like I said, I was very intentional about it. My entire intention was to market myself. Um, You know, this was, I tried, you know, I I remember seeing like people marketing TV shows and other things. And I said, I want to market myself as a, as a brand. This is before there was influencers, you know? And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out how to market myself where I'm not uh, necessarily beholden to a TV show, beholden to a company, beholden to whatever. I want to market my name and myself as a, as a brand and market it as what I care about and control that. And, um, and that's something that was very intentional about and, always have been and always will be, I think, um, you know, and looked at it like, okay, I'm going to market myself and market the things that I do as, as like a, a, somebody would a company. So when you talk about, you know, the different parts you've mentioned TV, is your main TV gig solo hunter today? Uh, yeah. Is it your only one? Um, right now? Yeah. I think kind of TVs, I mean, I know you guys do a show, but in my opinion, TV is pretty dead. Um, you know, I mean, mostly I, I don't really do much TV stuff, I would say. Um, you know, some stuff online. I've done some other shows in the past. Um, 
But, you know, like mostly what I do now is like creating content for social media myself and then a lot of the companies that I work for, work with. And are you, are you like working on as part of your, you know, your future plans? Will there be online episodes, TV shows, not just a social media deal, but like long form video or short films of Remy Warren? Is, is this something that we're going to be able to find digitally in the future? Oh yeah, definitely. And you're working on this right now? Yeah. You have like a new hunting show that you're going to release online? Um, not necessarily. Uh, not right at the second, no. But I mean, there is a lot of video content that I have that's going to be released pretty soon. Are you allowed to talk about what you went down to Rockies on that turkey hunt for? Because I still don't have all the details. Are they out of the oh, bag? Oh, yeah, those those are out. Um, yeah, I'm, it's actually, I'm a character in a video game. Okay, and, this is um, cool. Yeah, so, uh, and what I wanted to do, we kind of found, I found that um, the one thing, like, so the video game's called The Hunter Call of the Wild, and it's a fairly popular, like, it's a, you can play it on Xbox, PlayStation, uh, PC, whatever. Like, it's a fairly popular video game. And most of the, um, so it's like an, I'm, I, at the time I really wasn't super familiar with video games. I mean, like I played video games as a kid, you know, and I didn't realize like how good they are now and how like in depth they are. And so it's like an immersive world game where you go into this hunting reserve and, you know, it's not like a shooting gallery or anything like that. It's like this, um, immersive world kind of thing. And, um, and, uh, they had done a study and seen that like millions of their players, were not the majority of their players had never been hunting or didn't really know anyone that hunted, but loved the game, like addictively played the game and were very interested in hunting in real life, but they didn't really know anyone or had no knowledge of hunting outside of this video game. And so one of the things that we wanted to do is kind of bring a real hunter into that digital world and kind of, uh, give them just something to look at. Um, because they're, you know, they like, the video games they watch a lot of youtube videos so they kind of create short little how-to videos um self films like based on hunting and then kind of correlate those with the game in a way where we could release my character and some of the stuff in it and then give those people kind of an avenue to look at hunting in real life and um and the response on it was really good really awesome so you're right now you can go on there and be remy warren yeah you can play as remy warren um, anybody else no, I'm the only, as far as I know, I'm the only hunter that's like you know, a you legit got like UFC video game where you go there and be John Jones or whatever and fight Chuck Liddell. Yeah. You, so you can't go on there and be Michael Waddell or, or no. you got to be Remy Warren. Got to be me. Yeah. You could be me or your own avatar. Are you the face on the cover? Um, I don't think, you know, they're all sold digitally now. So no, so <laughs> there's, there's no, no covers. covers. Yeah. Cause GameStop's uh, going under, I heard. Are they? I heard that's, that. I yeah. Don't I don't, that's too bad. I don't know anything that's going on in that world. So. This is something that comes about how? How do they find you? Is it because of industry network? No, um, I think it's more just like uh, just things that I've done. Um, people in the company that really liked some of the stuff, like what I was about and the way that I did things. Um, and I also think because I have a, a pretty broad, like international presence, um, that I think that that helped because the video games like used played worldwide. And, uh, and it's actually a company out of um, Sweden or, uh, sorry. Um, yeah, Sweden. Um, and so, uh, I think that that, that played a little bit into it. Um, a lot of the stuff that I did in New Zealand and other things, you know, being kind of like a DIY style hunter in lots of places around the world. Um, you know, I think it relates to a lot of different people and uh, some of those people really like latched onto that and kind of helped it with the process of, of getting this going, which is really cool. One of the guys uh, that works at the company, Matt, was like pretty instrumental in getting it going, which is pretty awesome. Last time we met and talked, well, not the last time, but on one of our episodes, we talked about the relationship with Seiko. And you were going on three different hunts to do, I think one was Australia, one was Asia, one was somewhere else of maybe up north. Uh, Argentina, but we never got to do that one because, uh, yeah, COVID, yeah. Are you still working with Seiko? Yeah. So are you good? Are you there plans in the future of doing more of those trip international trips? Yeah, there are. I think right now I'm hoping to kind of, um, you know, like fill in with a lot of more domestic type hunts and some other stuff. But I think when travel gets back going, it'll definitely be some more, um, some more cool destinations and some other stuff like that. 
so then you got you have all that wrapped in now we've talked about the riding we've talked about the tv we've talked about the outfitting then your relationship with ranella and the meat eater crew they uh, they come to you and ask you to do a podcast series to where you host it and they're going to produce it and and put it out under the meat eater brand is that correct yeah that's correct and so how's this going this is called closing the distance uh cutting the distance cutting the distance yeah. sorry that's all right. Can I know you, every time you tag me in, it's closing the distance, but I, I like closing the distance too. So it's all well, good. cutting the distance makes more sense yeah. because you're also cutting up the meat. Exactly. So you're cutting the distance between you and the meat, and then you're cutting up the meat, and then you're a lot of cutting, cutting it up again when you cut it with your fork, and then you cut it up with your teeth. Yeah, exactly. You're cutting it, man. So uh, what's what's it all about? Um, it's mostly you know, so it's uh, more how to type content. Like um, the whole goal behind it is just teach people how to be more successful in the field, taking the thousands of days that I've spent and trying to turn that into tips and tactics. And, uh, I like to do it through like a two part thing. So the first part, I always try to tell like a hunting story because I learned over the years that it's crazy how many people learn stuff from these, like just watching me, I, you know, I never thought of it like that, but like watching solo hunters or watching my Instagram stories, they're like, man, I learned so much. And I'm like, okay, there's a lot to be learned from just like uh, hearing a hunting story. And I think, you know, I think about it, like growing up hunting, how many hunting stories did you have? Oh, and how yeah. many, like, that's where you got your tips and tactics, man, was a hunting story. Nobody yeah. told you how to do it. They just told you what, what, how they screwed up yeah. or how they did it right. Yeah. And, um, so I, I like to take kind of integrate that into it. So I tell like a hunting story and I think that's entertaining as well. And then kind of break down tips and tactics. Um, something I learned from that or just something that relates to that. And then, Yeah. And then do a little Q and A's too every once a month. So do you enjoy the podcast process of doing what we're doing right now, but not, you don't sit across the table from anybody, right? You're just solo. Yeah. I just Everything you do, you're a loner. Yeah, man. You just talk, you just, I mean, I've done those in this studio where I sit here by myself and talk about, like we have this one podcast series called Foul Thoughts by Safari Club, presented by Safari Club. Yeah. And I sit here and I just talk about my foul thoughts you do this twice a week. Like, is it, you like that? Uh, so essentially you're talking to yourself because you're not getting anything from any audience until right. you see the remarks on it. Yeah. I mean, I, the re there were, there's two reasons I do it that way. One is because I'm gone a lot. So, um, I, it's, it just works with my schedule. Like I can't, you know, have people and do this. And I think it's just more concise and to the point, you know, like I don't, um, I'm like, a. I just like everything to be efficient, streamlined. So, it's like, so do you sit down like you would with a pen and paper or pencil and paper and write an article? Is that how you uh, format your thoughts for a podcast? No, I've done that and it doesn't work very well. Like they just don't come out very good. Um, well, I just outline it and then just go from there. Do you ever wing it? Yeah. I, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I just like write down like, okay, I'm going to, this is what I'm going to talk about. You know, so I just give myself like a an outline of like, I'm going to talk about these five things, you know, and then I wing everything else. So will this last weekend's hunt become a podcast of waterfowling and introducing youth to the sport? You just participated in the Nevada youth hunt again. We did it oh, together yeah. last year. So tell me about the hunt and then will it become a podcast? Will somebody learn anything from oh, introducing I, new blood to the, the sport? Through yeah, this? I definitely think it will. I always try to, cause my podcast actually, um, you know, I, I try to make it where it appeals to those like hardcore hunters, but, uh, a lot of the listeners are like new hunters or guys getting into it. Um, so I try to always touch on like getting into hunting and the basics and like some of the things you can learn from the basics and then expand on that as well. But yeah, I definitely think um, there'll probably be some form of a podcast or whatever. You know, it's like all every hunting experience at some point will probably be a podcast. But um, yeah, I, I, we had a great weekend. I took my nephew. So it's my wife's um, sister's kid. Um, and so my brother-in-law and, and their son out uh, on his first duck hunt. And it was his first, he's 10 years old. And it was his first successful hunt. We ended up, I was going to, uh, we ended up, I was thought, okay, I was thinking about it. It's like, okay, how did I, I started bird hunting. I started on upland game and then jump shooting ducks. And I thought maybe that will be the way to get him started. Cause you know, not knowing, and then, you know, I might have a little more control over just birds whizzing by, like maybe we can sneak in. And that aspect of sneaking in feels pretty fun too. I, I didn't know like, isn't his like how excited to be if we we're just like sitting out in the marsh and nothing's flying or whatever. So I wanted to make it like, you know, um, 
so I changed my plan from going to the marsh to, to jump shooting. And I should have just gone to the, should have just stuck with my plan. You know, like, Why, you couldn't get close to them or there were none? There weren't, there, I think, well, the, you know, nothing was really froze up. So all the, all the marsh was open. I think that just got. So did you just try to, were you, plan was to get on the ditch out there in this certain area and walk the, di- the levees on the ditch? No, I, my plan, no, I went out and uh, hunted like a, a river system. And, um, and so there just wasn't, there was a few birds and we snuck in and got like one or two shots, but uh, it was just difficult. There wasn't a lot of birds. There wasn't a lot of action. And I'm like, all right, we're going to go to that spot. I want to go in the marsh. And, uh, and that wind picked up. You know, and I'm like, sweet. So we get out there and there's like nobody, everybody had already either finished or did you guys see, I mean, did you hear a lot of shooting or anything? Well, where we were, I mean, yeah, there was quite yeah. a bit, especially when the wind picked up. Yeah. So, um, so I was like, okay, you know, and I was like, oh, this is perfect. But also, you know, the gun that I had for him was a little bit big and just never really being familiar with a gun and, you know, whatever, just people that are new to it. Um, you know, it's gotta be like, you gotta have the right setup. So I decided, I was like, okay, I'm going to, that wind, I was like, okay, we're going to find one little spot where that, uh, where there's just like a little less wind and we're going to go and we're going to set up. So I found a little bay and my thought was, okay, we're going to put ourselves, we're going to lay down at the, the point of a little bay where there's no riffles. And we're going to put the decoys in a V right to that spot. And those ducks are going to land right here, right at our feet. So I got them all set up and, uh, sure enough, ducks come in just like clockwork, right? And I mean, he shot him at point blank. Uh, got a hen redhead as his first duck, first time he'd ever shot a bird or anything. And he, man, he was so hooked. He was so stoked. It's just, there's like, that is way more exciting than going out and shooting something for yourself, isn't it? Like seeing something like these kids just like how, and I remember that, man. I remember somebody taking me out to the march the first time I got to go hunt over decoys and just like how cool that was and you know you get this amazing sunset and you're out there and it's just like it feels so cool and he was just so excited and then we uh made some duck nuggets the next day and yeah he was he's hooked man he so are you it. filming all this that i wasn't you no. were see like that's yeah. that's one of those things that we were like i would love to see that yeah that whole deal about the jump shooting and then transitioning into a windy day and learning how to decoy yeah laying on your back and sitting up and then the duck nuggets the first duck, you know, you were out there last year with us and it was, yeah. you know, we, you were in the episode and you were doing the elk bugle and we were hunting bull cans and my, my daughter, you know, Lucy was out there and she killed a hen can for her first duck. Then my nine-year-old daughter, Alyssa killed hers. And I started crying. Les is crying. You're fired up. It was awesome. Yeah. And, but you, if you remember, it was, you know, she wasn't a hundred percent sold on her abilities in, in handling that gun. Yeah. That 410. Well, this year I kept her on the 410. Um, and you should have seen Remy night and day, like one year of, um, and she shot in between then, you know, but now it's like stand up, shoulder it, boom, stand up, shoulder, boom, not making good contact, not leading it the right way, but the confidence, the one I always try to take something out of the field. Yeah. Well, the duck calls around her neck and her sounding like a hen mallard and getting her air presentation right and being able to advance, you know, advance in her vocalizations and being able to call and communicate with wild game. That was huge to me. Then her ability to see the bird and judge the timing of standing up, shouldering the gun and doing it all on her own. I never had to help her one time. Her aim's a little off, but it could be the patterning of the gun sometimes. And, um, you know, and luck plays into some things once in a while. The wind was tough. So as soon as she'd stand up, those birds would catch that wind and be gone. There was a lot of facets in that, in the hunt. But the one thing I took out of it is that she's just so confident with the gun. That's cool. It's just a great part of it. Now she, she's already like, I want to shoot her exact words were, I want to shoot a gun next year that shoots more than one time. And I was like, perfect. Cool. So now we'll get a little 20, like the new little SB3 Benelli 20 or the new M2 and put two shells in it. One in the magazine, one in the chamber and let her have two shots. Yeah. And teach her the, you know, the safety aspects of that kind of gun, you know, being more of the automatic variety than there is with the semi-automatic variety than there is with, you know, pulling back the hammer and shooting a 410. Yeah. But to see her do that and the confidence and then never get down, never hang your head, laughing and having a blast and saying, daddy, ducks, ducks, there's ducks. Oh no, that's a crow. Oh no, no, that's a hawk. And you know, she was just in it. She was in it too. And we saw sprig in the decoys, widgeon, teal, mallards, cans, and redheads. 
Oh, I saw so many like fully plumed cinnamon teal. Oh, you guys, so me too. What the heck? I was like, oh man, I want you to get one of those. Those are awesome. Clay's son killed one with really? a with a hen can and a and a Drake cinnamon. Wow. And then my other buddy's son was out there, shot forty three times, almost two full boxes. He's He's a little bit older, but he had never been duck hunting. He's a chucker hunter. Yeah. So chucker usually getting up and they're either flying straight away from you, maybe a crossing shot. But I'd say for the majority, the way that his chucker hunting's gone, it's probably getting up and maybe angling away from him a little bit or straight away. And he's killing chucker, but that wind was tough on him. He killed three ducks in forty three shots. Wow. A hen, a hen redhead, and and or maybe a, no, a Drake redhead and two cinnamon drakes. Beautiful cool. cinnamon. Yeah, that's plumage. awesome. I'd get my my brother's going to mount the cinnamon for his for his son. Right on. He's pretty. Are you, did you guys kill any cinnamons, or was the hen redhead it? Hen redhead was it. We had one. Uh, one cinnamon came in like that, but unfortunately, because um, he I'd had him, he'd been practicing. He got a single shot four ten, but uh, we didn't have any steel shot for it and couldn't find any ammo anywhere. So I I had COVID. some. Yeah, it's crazy. So I um, I used my over under uh, twenty gauge. It's actually one that I use chuck running. It's actually a, like a woman's size stock because I like it for chuck running because I can throw it up super fast yeah. and it's super light. I mean, I can shoot the thing like one handed. You know, like right. I don't even have to put it on my shoulder if I don't want, want to. Just like messing around shooting skeet or whatever. Um, it's like fairly small for me. It was actually my mom's and I just ended up taking it and using it because it was like, hey, this works. And then my wife uses it a lot. Um, so I had him shoot that, you know, two shots in there. and uh, But it's similar like break action like his 410 was. And uh, But it, the, unfortunately, the stock was a little long. So when that cinnamon teal came in, he, it got caught under his shoulder and he couldn't shoulder it right. And oh. we're like, oh, no. <laughs> but it would have worked out. Is it this cool. something to where he's hooked, you think? Oh yeah, yeah, he's pumped. Fired up. Yeah, I'm gonna. We're gonna figure out a, a better shotgun. Um, you know, maybe cut down the stock on. Has something he big game hunted before? No, this was his first hunt ever. Uh, he went chucker hunting with his dad and my mom. Or, sorry, his dad and uh, my wife's dad um, on Junior Chucker Day this year, but they didn't get any birds or didn't get any shots. Did they see any? I think they heard some or whatever. I don't know if they saw anything. I can't remember. Did you have a dog on the duck hunt? No, he didn't. I was the dog. You were the dog. Yeah. So he killed the hen redhead in the decoys. Yep. Smoked her. Yep. No cripple. Nope. That's just awesome. One and done. How fired up was his dad? Pretty excited. Is he a hunter? No, he's just getting into it. He's so, just getting into yeah. it too. Yeah. Well, that's way cool. Yeah, really cool. We did a hunt, a junior hunt in California this year, part of the CWA New Hunter program, and we had this 11-year-old down there, and he was new to hunting, but he had been hunting, wasn't his very first one, he was new to it this year, and his family had moved here from New York. Oh, cool. And we got to meet his dad, and never he's never hunted in his life when he picked him up. Really? And his son's just like eating up, like That's calling, cool. like sending me videos of him goose calling, duck calling, gobbling turkeys in their backyard. I mean, this kid is addicted. He sees a squirrel, and he'll take a video and send it to me of... I'm gonna get this squirrel. I'm gonna, <laughs> I want. I need to get that squirrel recipe from the cookbook. Like he's fired up. That's like, awesome. That's what I love to see. Is like I. Th- I just. I just. There's some people that would have the mindset of like go 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 push push push. Even in athletics with kids, you see a lot of parents that are push push push. And with with Alyssa and a lot of these kids, I'm just like they'll figure it out. The, oh, the yeah. lifestyle is so special and it's so fun that they might not catch on. The first time they go again, they're going to catch on. And they might catch on the first time, and they might take another year to want to go again, but then they're just going to keep building on it and building on it. Not everybody's going to jump in and be like, oh, man, I'm, I want to, I got to do this every day of my life. Yeah. And, I, and that's hard for me to figure out because my type A personality, I was just engulfed with it, right? But I was also older when I started duck hunting. So I was more of the mindset of like, man, this is it. This is better than any chucker hunter I've ever been on or any deer hunt I've ever been on and, and all that. Where you, you're more balanced of – you enjoy all hunting. Oh yeah, everything. But I would say, you know, a large portion of my life, especially growing up in Nevada, you know, you big game hunt, but I mean, I was just obsessed with duck hunting. Um, I mean, I duck hunted every day like I could, you know, and that was a lot of days, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, because you just couldn't get tags all the time uh, between ducks and chucker. But I always, I always erred on the side of ducks then for sure. Is it your favorite wing shooting? I think so. Um, I don't know. You know, I do love chuck running, but there's just something about being in the marsh and the variety of birds and you know what it's like. I mean, you just like, it's badass, you know, the whole, the especially whole. when you're, I love calling animals. That's like something I really enjoy doing, whether it's elk or it doesn't matter. Like I'm always making crazy animal noises and, 
I think it like probably drives everyone around me crazy. I can't oh, like does. walk around without making an animal noise, you know. Like I want to be the guy in the marsh that's blowing the call all the time because it's fun, <laughs> you know. Like it's great. It um, is fun to communicate with. Yeah, them. it's rad. So, um, yeah, but it's fun. It's fun to see the kids get into it, and I'm excited too. I'm actually uh, my wife and I are having a baby girl. Oh, uh, you are this summer. Yeah, so, congrats. Yeah, we're, I'm like, all right, I'm planning it out. All right, we're gonna go out. <laughs> it's gonna be fun. You know, I'm excited about it. <laughs> That's cool, and you did it the right timing to where she's not gonna be born in Huntington. Yeah, <laughs> I see you planning that out too, yeah. didn't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God, you're just so intentional, Remy. <laughs> yeah. That should be the be. name of your new TV show. Yeah, Intentional Remy. <laughs> intentional Remy. <laughs> you did have a TV show at one time called The Apex Predator. Yep. Do you still work with this brand at all? Do you still no. brand that at all? No. You uh, don't? No. That You want to? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it was fun. It was, like, really fun to do then, you know? Um, I, I would probably, like, I would revive it, but... It was kind of like hard on my body, actually, just doing like crazy stuff. Was it? Uh, yeah. You were your own stuntman? Yeah, exactly. Is there anything about working and making your living in this industry that you don't like? Um, yeah, but, I mean, there's things that I like. I'm like, ugh. But uh, I mean, I'm not like a, I mean, I, I, I use social media a lot, but I'm not like a big fan of it, to be honest. I think there's like a lot of good things and a lot of bad things about it. Um, but I just focus on the good things, so it doesn't really bother me that much. But you made a comment in the beginning of this about how you were proven and you were doing things that were, you were legit, the real deal. When they went on that photo shoot with you, they saw you're the real deal. There's a lot of not that real deals that are self-proclaimed real deals. Everybody's famous now because of social media. Everybody's an ambassador. Everybody is a pro staffer. Everybody is a professional hunter because they have a certain amount of followers. And to me, that's always like, I don't want to take anything away from anybody, but to me, it's like, where is the cutting the teeth process now? Yeah. It's almost like you can just go out and, and, and say, Oh, I'm getting this many impressions or this much engagement. You're going to pay me to be on my social media page. But there was there, it is hard to do it the way you did it. There was a lot of proving ground there. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was a different world, different time. Um, yeah. And I, th I think that there is some of that, you know, with social media or whatever, you can make yourself look however you want. And I mean, clearly, you know, like I, I, I stick to like certain things. I don't like, you know, you can choose what you want to post and what you don't want to post. Um, you know, I try to post things that I, I would want to see, you know, and that's like, you know, so I don't put a lot of like family stuff or like stuff at home that's, that has nothing to do with hunting, but I also don't, you know, it's like, that's our life too. We pretty much, I mean, we're hunting 24 7 365 pretty much um you know so that's the kind of like things that i share um you have a tv you know. show coming out on netflix don't you no i just thought yeah you do i bet you do no come on remy be honest with me no i don't come on i don't i honestly don't where is it gonna be uh no i nowhere nowhere no do you have a new, an invite to do the rogan podcast anytime soon has he invited you since he moved to texas uh yeah actually are you going yeah i think i will at some point I know we were kind of talking about, I was talking about going down there, but it was kind of in the middle of the move and everything. So I don't know, I'll probably hold off and go down sometime at some point, I would imagine. Yeah, he uh, his podcast is pretty badass. Yeah, it's awesome. What are you going to talk to him about, you think? I don't know. Whatever. Hunting, <laughs> for sure. What parts of hunting does he like to talk about? Does he mainly into the eating part of it, or does he like all of the strategy as well? I think a little bit of everything. You know, he, I think he loves elk hunting. He loves bow hunting. Um, you know, he loves eating the meat and then he loves like just nature and the craziness of nature. So I think all those things are generally pretty popular topics. Do you think that you bring up his elk and he shows a lot of elk in what he does in his life? I love that part about him. Yeah. Eats a lot of elk with a lot of jalapenos. Is that your favorite meat? You've killed shit all over the world. Is Axis deer better than elk? Is buffalo? Is there anything that matches the Rocky Mountain elk? To me, speckle belly is my favorite. So you, you yeah. I know you're, I, you're, you're going to have your own. But to me, the speckle belly is the best wild meat. What is for you? Yeah, I mean, elk's pretty much up there just because it's like it's a large animal. You get like some big cuts out of it. Uh, Axis deer is pretty good too. Though, Bear's I mean. not good. Bear's not my favorite. Um, Bear's not good, is it, Remy? I had this argument with Jim Shockey. He said he could he could dare me that he could make bear taste as good as any elk out there. I said, there's no way you can. Uh, it's actually good slow cooked. So like pulled pork. Yeah, right? pulled you pork. You could make coyote yeah. taste good that way. Though. Yeah, but it's, uh, yeah, I mean, if you did pulled bear, pulled elk, the pulled bear would be better. 
You know? Really? Yeah, it's just because it's like got a little bit more fat more in it. Fat. It's a little greasy. What about moose? Do you think moose is like too gamey? I don't yeah, like moose I'm either. I'm not a big moose fan. Why? Um, because it tastes like mud. Like they smell like, like you know that like marsh mud when you pull your boot out of that uh, sinkhole. Moose like they're that's their rut smell, and I, th- I honestly think that moose kind of sort of tastes like that. But I some agree. people love moose. I know, I, it's not my favorite. Love- like Shockey told me he loves moose too. And I'm like, there's no way it's not that good. I'll tell you, like I've shot young moose, young bulls and they're good. Better. Yeah. Yeah. They're like veal. Yeah. You're like, what oh, about, okay, cool. what about bison? Are you a huge bu- bison fan? Of yeah. Them? I like bison. It's just like, you don't get to hunt them very often. I know? like bison. Steak, I've only shot I'm not one a fan bison. Of, I'm not a fan of bison burgers. Really? Yeah. It doesn't taste good to me. Uh, yeah. I mean, I like, I mean, with my, with my burgers, I grind in fat with them. Um, and I wonder if, you know, like bison burgers i don't like bison fat you know it's like yellow it's kind well, of like it's a it's very similar to horse fat yeah very um, similar so i don't i don't like that you eat I horse just, i have yeah where in europe yeah i've eaten it in I mean, europe yeah, several it, times I've it's good it here too but it reminds me a lot have you really yeah i've eaten it in asia too you i mean i don't know you can't like it's a good i've had like a horse ribeye before and you're like damn this is good that <laughs> so it's lean it's like it's a lot it's actually a lot like bison but it's i think it's kind of sweet I don't know why. Sweet. I don't know why it has like the sweet flavor. Because they're eating apples all the time. Is right? that it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Little girls are feeding them apples. Yeah. They, um, the horse that I've had a lot of horse like cooked in a, like an Italian style with red sauce on it. Yeah. It's a lot like, um, like tongue at a Basque restaurant. Yeah. And I love tongue. I love lingua. Oh yeah. When it's done right. Yeah. That's good. I'm not a big fan of chucker i'm not a big really? fan of pheasant well if i cook it now here i am being biased like if i cook it and i know what i you know and i do it right but a lot of people overcook that stuff oh, and they, yeah. they dry it out so bad i've never like i don't eat bad chucker but i also i've had i, I take that back when i cook it i've never had a bad chucker but i've Me had too. i've had those pheasants and those whatever that casseroles like, and all oh that god that's so gross oh, uh, it makes me want to throw up thinking about you know that like pheasant dish that's got like rice and mushroom soup cream of mushroom it. soup oh, and so everybody's gross. like this is the old and i'm like Dude, it's so that, disgusting that's just butchering you could just put, so you might bad. as well just put a can of spam or tuna fish in there so nasty you know yeah. what else was hard to eat growing up in this area was a sage hen because yeah. when you cleaned them, you gagged because you're killing them in August and early September, and they always were putrid. They really were. Yeah. They were a bad smelling animal. Antelope were the same way. You know, antelope were tough because a lot of people didn't take care of the meat in the 95 degree weather. Yeah. So they'd sit out there and drink a cold beer and let it just sit there and in the sun when you really need to be in the cooler on ice and 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 cooling off and chilling. Right. Yeah. I had I had a problem growing up getting to like sage hen. Unless you like beat it and battered it and tenderized yeah. it and then you breaded it and then you fried it and then you put it in red sauce or gravy in an Italian dish over noodles. But just to eat a pheasant, uh, a sage hen breast was never very good to me. Yeah. And again, if I take it and I cook it now and I do some different things to it, I can make it pretty good. But I was the same way with antelope too. I was never an antelope fan until I started, you know, learning about the importance of because when you're 12 years old and your dad's excited when you kill an antelope, you're really out there taking a bunch of pictures and you're not really rushing back to the the truck. And we didn't have UTVs back then. Now you can get things picked up in a hurry. Elk are different because you're down in the canyon. But with antelope, you know, if, as long as you stay ethical, you can get the meat on ice pretty quick. Oh yeah. But back sure. in the day, you didn't have cell phones and you didn't have. I mean, you had to set up the picture and get the big camera out and there was a lot of time that went in to all that then the celebration took place instead of procuring that procuring that meat yeah whereas a deer it stays colder because you were killing a lot well maybe not early archery though right no you gotta get that deer on ice right yeah i mean it's not necessarily on ice but just uh skinned out air around it air circulation it cooled down you know and that's pretty that works pretty good so what will you eat tonight is it a hundred percent wild game diet yeah, I mean, well, we I'll mix in like pork fat and bacon, um, just because like wild game's not super fatty, but yeah, it's it's pretty much a hundred percent. You know, every once in a while, my wife might want to buy like chicken or something. Um, you know, if, if she wants something like, and we'll eat fish a lot. Um, if we go out somewhere, you know, like if I go out somewhere, I eat non wild game. Like I'm not so like anti everything. It's just that in like I just don't buy meat. Like we have so much meat and we love wild game. Like that's just what we eat. Are you ready to do this processing segment with me? Are you? Can yeah. we do it, please? Yeah, sure. 
Are you sure? Yeah. We, I mean, I, dude, I've been line? just like throwing down with some processing stuff, man. I you have been? Oh, yeah. I butchered like so much stuff. <laughs> like, Well, I wanted, yeah. I got a ton here that I'm ready to thaw. Yeah. Snows, Canada's. Yeah, dude. I just made um, like a big batch of duck chorizo. Did you bring me some? So oh, I should have. No. What the freak, dude? I think I, we've cruised through it. We've been doing, uh, man, like two nights a week. We do like uh, duck chorizo street tacos. Oh. Just like, and we just like simple, like cojita cheese and then like some, uh, uh, you know, cilantro. And that's it, man. That's it's just so like crispy, it's crispy. Uh, so how chorizo. long are you in town for? Um, I don't know a while. I mean, I'm so. Can we do this next week? Maybe if I like, give you some dates. Yeah, I think so. Next week or the week after? Yeah, I think so. Because me and you also talked about maybe a late season spec. Yeah, we need to do that. I want to shoot a spec. I got a guy that's literally driving there right now. Really? Yeah. Yeah. To scout. I'm down. So just be on the. And you know who else might go with us is David Wise. Oh, really? Sweet. Yeah, that'd be that'd be fun, man. I have to shoot a spec. That's like that's like the bird that's on the top of my like shoot bird list and i've never killed one never no and they're delicious my dad i did uh i i got to go on an emperor goose hunt this year though did you really badass way up north yeah yeah because they just now became it became legal right yep my dad drew a tag did he kill one yeah no way did you decoy him yep really oh yeah you Uh, went up and set up a spread yep how'd you hide in a rock pile or uh we built a blind out of driftwood and they come right in yep was it pretty easy uh, you got to know where they're at. Well, easy. I mean, <laughs> you're in the freaking Bering Sea in a small fishing boat for so scary. seven days. You yeah. know? But, so you're scary. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, they aren't like, they aren't like the wariest, but I mean, imagine if you could only shoot one Canada goose a year, right? You'd be like, oh, this is easy. Yeah. You know, like. And they're not getting that much pressure. No, nah, they aren't getting, no, nah, they aren't getting that pressure. Well, that's cool, man. I want to do this processing segment. Yeah. I want you to write a book on how to become successful in the hunting industry because it's hard you need to write a book on this you need to write an ebook or an essay you need to write something that gives us some hints because i get this question at least 30 times a week how do you get a job how do you work for this what's what am i doing you know if i blow a duck call the best am i going to get a job and i don't it's you never want to like tell somebody no that's not what it takes it's a lot of what you explained the last hour hour and 10 minutes of tenacity and work ethic and you know going after it like your story about learning the area in Montana better than anybody, that's a big deal. Like that's a, a big deal to go in there and say, I'm not even from this area, but I'm going to learn it like the back of my hand. And then that is what transitions into everything else. And it just keeps compounding and building into what became what is the Remy Warren brand now. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that you have to be, have to be able to tell somebody it's not about, you know, necessarily being the best hunter in the world you have to have more than that in my opinion you really do do you agree with that yeah i mean i think there's probably i mean i know some incredible hunters but they also have no desire to do you know what i mean follow them or nah and to do what you do filming yourself that's hard as hell yeah that's yeah i mean well that's the one thing i'm like you know if you do something that nobody else can do um you kind of you can kind of like you might that's a good place to be you know, so I always tried to do things that other people weren't doing or was very difficult to do. Um, I don't know if that's the best way to do it, but it worked for me, I guess. So do you have any regrets? No, no. You love working in this industry? Oh, yeah. Love Are it. you ready to go hunting like right now? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I just got done hunting and I'm ready to go tomorrow. You today. just got back from Hawaii? Yeah. Hunting the deer over there? Deer and pigs, yeah. Did you kill both? Yeah. Did you bring them all back? I did, yeah. On the plane? Yep. Stuffed a cooler? Yeah, just I bring a little uh, vacuum sealer, one of those made with meat, little the little travel size one. I didn't realize that I brought the wrong bags for it, so I had to get some extra bags. But um, yeah, I, uh, made with meat is awesome. Yeah, so I um, just bring that over and then just butchered it all up, froze it, and then put it in those. I take those just like a soft sided cooler, bring it back home. Love it. Yeah. Have you eaten any of it yet? Oh yeah, that's what we had for dinner the last three days. The deer or the pig? Deer. Yeah. It's good, huh? Yeah. I'm going to do, uh, oh, we had some, my buddy brought back some, I'll probably say the name wrong, but Bodan. Is Boudin. That Boudin. 
Yeah. Oh, man, that's so good. Rice stuffed sausage. Damn, that's so good. I'm going to make a, like, I'm making, like, batches of that. So good with wild game and crab and shrimp and rabbit. Anything. Rabbit. We did a wild rabbit feed down in California a couple weeks ago for the second second to last week of the season. This Italian family from Napa Valley, the part of Chili's, they own Napa Valley olive oil manufacturing, and they brought up some, they went out and killed a bunch of rabbits, and freaking, it was unreal. So good. I love rabbit. Yeah. Could eat it. All right, that's Remy Warren, this Foul Life podcast, Dickie's Workwear series. Today's episode, again, was brought to you by Dickie's Workwear, Gerber Gear, and Lear Tops. Thank you guys and girls so much for the downloads and subscriptions. Thank you for listening to all of our podcasts here. Don't forget to check out new episodes of This Life Ain't For Everybody and Where the Payment Ends and brand new episodes of The Foul Life coming this July 2nd exclusively on the Outdoor Channel. And we have a new TV show launching on the Outdoor Sportsman's Group app, My Outdoor TV or Mo TV. Please get a subscription. We will have more details on the new show we're launching on that this coming april may 2021 i'm chad belding for remy warren thank you all very much for listening tom take us out of here this song is called my foul life by the band 2am logic thank y'all